What's up? This is Jonathan Smith, your host. You're at Shooting the Schmitz, part of the Elevation 5280 Sports Podcast Network. Been working with them for a few weeks now. Just been forgetting to drop them in the intro. So, boom, Elevation 5280 Sports. Go check out the website and the podcast feed. A lot of good stuff going on over there. In this episode, we're going to be breaking down Jonathan Taylor's trade request and the AFC North. We're going to continue previewing those NFL divisions. It's an absolutely loaded show. You're going to enjoy it. Here we go. So Jonathan Taylor has officially requested a trade away from the Indianapolis Colts, came after he and Jim Irsay met for about an hour in Jim Irsay's bus or RV camper style thing. Yeah, he requested a trade. I'm just going to tell you right now, he's not going to be traded. It's not, it's not happening, Okay. And, you know, this whole running back thing has been going on for a few weeks now. Why don't people want to pay running backs? You know, Jonathan Taylor, his agent comes out, hits the nail on the head. He's like, you need to pay your best player. Right? That's that's what the call is for. You know, people were like, wow, I can't believe that the agent came out and said that. And then Jim Irsay then comes out and he's like, yeah, we're, we're not going to trade you. We're not going to trade you. Even though we have a quarterback on a rookie contract and we can afford to pay you, we aren't going to. Now, to be fair, no one's paid running backs, okay? Saquon Barkley didn't really get paid by the Giants. Tony Pollard didn't get paid by the Cowboys. Josh Jacobs hasn't been paid by the Raiders, okay? The running back position simply isn't valued like it once was. The franchise tag on the running backs has gone down, while every other position's price has gone up, okay? For those of you who don't know how that works, when you franchise tag a player, you basically pay them the average salary of all the other players at that position, Okay, three years ago, the average salary of a running back was $13 million. So if you wanted to franchise tag a running back, you had to pay them $13 million that, sh- that year. The franchise tag this year is only 10 It's going down. Running backs simply aren't as valued as they used to be. And I think that first, to better understand Jonathan Taylor's situation, we now need to go through... All the running backs. Like, why are all the running backs falling into this category of, yeah, we like you, but we don't want to pay you? I think there's three things here that we can point to. First of all is touches. Okay, these guys, they touch the ball so many times. Okay, the peak years of a running back or while they're on their rookie contract before they get hit a ton. That's why they don't get paid after that first contract. Okay, premier running backs touch the football a lot, more than any other position group In the NFL, Josh Jacobs, he led the league in touches last year with 393, and we're defining a touch as either a rushing attempt or or a reception. Okay, He touched the ball 393 times last year. That is a lot of touches. Okay, The top 36 leaders in touches last year are all running backs. Even guys like Raheem Mozart are up there in like the top 15. Okay, the first non-running back to appear on the list is Jalen Hurts. He had he only had 165 touches. Only 165 touches. Meanwhile, the leading wide receiver in terms of touches is Justin Jefferson, who had 132. Okay, 
elite running backs touch the ball more than any other elite player at any other position group, and it's not close. Okay, over the course of the last three years, Jonathan Taylor has had 860 touches, even though he's missed seven games. So he'd be well over 1,000 if he hadn't missed, you know, basically half of a season. Meanwhile, we look at Justin Jefferson, who led receivers in touches last year with 132. If he maintained that pace, which he probably won't, that's a lot of touches, that's a lot of receptions, it would take him six and a half seasons to get to 860 touches. Six and a half years. In three years, in half as much time, Jonathan Taylor has been hit as much as Justin Jefferson will in six and a half years. Okay, due to the volume of touches that these running backs get, they get beat on and beat on and beat on. And even when they aren't touching the ball and they're in for pass protection, they're having to block these 270-pound defensive ends and 310-pound defensive tackles. Okay, their bodies just take a beating. And because of that, they age quicker. Coaches and GMs know this, and they don't want to put out the money for them. I don't blame them. And on top of that, you've got the analytics part of this. Now, look, every athlete loves these analytic people. These stereotypical nerds who look at a computer screen and pick apart all the various aspects of a game that they can only play on Madden. Okay, basically, the nerds have decided that teams don't need elite running backs. There are other options. If you have a good offensive scheme and a good offensive line, then you don't need an elite running back. You need a good one, but you don't need a great one. Okay, we saw Kyle Shanahan run the ball well before Christian McCaffrey showed up. We saw the Chiefs run the ball last year well with Isaiah Pacheco, a fifth-round pick out of Rutgers. Okay, if teams have a good offensive coach, whether that's the offensive coordinator or the actual head coach, and they have a solid offensive line, then they don't need to pay a running back $16 million a year. They don't need to do it. So why would they? In a hard salary cap league, this is what happens. You cut costs where you can. And when the analytics tell you that you don't need to pay a running back, then guess what? Teams aren't going to pay the running back. Okay, it's not like GMs are taking that $16 million and putting it in their pocket. They're putting it in the left guard and in the right tackle and in the free safety. Positions that are simply more important than running back. And when we look at the analytics and we look at the numbers, when we look at Jonathan Taylor, okay, let's take this last season. He averaged 79 yards a game in the 11 games that he played, just under 80 rushing yards a game. As a team, in those 11 games, they averaged 113 rushing yards a game. In the five games that he missed, the Colts averaged just under 104 yards a game. That's a nine-yard difference. Why fork out? $16 million a year for an extra nine yards. It's simply not worth it. It's simply not worth it. And finally, supply and demand, okay? Like, we learn this when we're in elementary school. We do. Okay, there's a lot of running backs. Okay, they're all over the place, and they are lined up trying to get their shot in the NFL. Okay, there are a lot of them, and when there is a lot of something, it costs less. Meanwhile, when we look at left tackles and quarterbacks, there aren't as many of them, so they cost a whole lot more. Okay, running back is the most replaceable position in football. Okay, we've even seen wide receivers like Debo Samuel and Cordell Patterson take snaps lined up at running back and produce just fine. Running backs are everywhere, and until they aren't, they're just not going to get paid a lot. Now, how does all this 
you know, compared to Jonathan Taylor? How do we apply all this? You know, look, I've laid out all these reasons why running backs don't get paid. Obviously, running backs don't like it because their window to make money is really small. And since the Colts are probably not going to offer Jonathan Taylor a ton of money in his next contract, he wants to be traded. I don't blame him. But as I said in the open, Colts aren't going to trade him. It's not happening. Why would the Colts trade one of the best running backs in football when they simply don't have to? Especially when there's a legit scenario where Jonathan Taylor is in a Colts uniform for the next four or maybe even five years. Okay, they've listed him on the non or the non football or non football injury list. Okay, and if he doesn't play this year because he's on that list, then the final year of his contract gets pushed to next year. So instead of the 2023 season being year four, then the 2024 season will be year four of his contract if he doesn't play this year because he's on the non-football injury list. But now let's say you know he, he figures out the back stuff, he comes back. Then everybody's favorite thing comes into play, the franchise tag. Okay, It's the ultimate trump card in the NFL. This is what keeps all the cards in the hands of the owner. Now, to qualify for a franchise tag, all that has to happen is you have to be offered an extension. Okay, so here's what's going to happen. The Colts are going to offer Jonathan Taylor some form of an extension. They're going to offer him some form of an extension, and he's going to say no because it's not going to be for the money that he wants, and the Colts are going to be like, okay, here's a franchise tag. And they can do that three times. Three times. Okay, so the first time that they tag him, they'll play him the league average straight up. But every time after that, it does go up a little bit. Let me break that down for y'all really quickly. So to make math easy, let's say that the Colts franchise tag Jonathan Taylor for $10 million next season. Okay, he plays through the season for the $10 million. They offer him another extension. He says, no, I'm good. The Colts say, okay, let's franchise tag you again. Now, when you franchise tag somebody for a second time, then you get a 20% pay raise on the old salary, right? So what's 20% of $10 million? That'd be $2 million. So then the following year, year two of the franchise tag, he would make $12 million. Okay, Jonathan Taylor plays through the season on the $12 million, has another really good year. The Colts are like, we want to extend you. And then Jonathan Taylor's like, that's not enough money. Then the Colts say, okay, here's another franchise tag. On the third year of the franchise tag, the salary would increase by 44%. So 44% of $12 million puts you at $17.2 million. That is how much they would pay Jonathan Taylor if they decided to franchise tag him three times. All the top running backs right now are, are making somewhere around $16 million. That's where Derrick Henry and Christian McCaffrey are. The Colts can underpay Jonathan Taylor for two out of the next three years, and there's nothing he can do about it. By the time the Colts won't be able to franchise tag him anymore, he'll be 28 years old, and the best days of his career will be behind him. Because 28, 29-year-old running backs usually begin to decline at that point. Okay, Running backs have no leverage. Jonathan Taylor has no leverage because in recent CBA meetings, the NFL players have traded money and power for lighter working conditions. Okay, They have made their bed. Now they have to lie in it. And these running backs are just now realizing, oh, wait, we don't have we don't have any power. You know, I, I would be willing to bet that these guys would prefer to have a few more padded practices if it meant that they actually got to control where they went and what they did. 
but they don't. You made the bed. You gotta lie in it. We're gonna take a short break, and we'll be right back with more shooting the Schmidt. The AFC North is absolutely loaded, especially at the most important position on the field, the quarterback position. I mean, just the quarterback depth across these four teams is just insane, and that's what you need to compete as the best division in football. I personally think that the AFC East is going to be the best division in football this year, but if you told me it was going to be the AFC North, I wouldn't be upset with you. Joe Shiesty in Cincinnati. Lamar Jackson in Baltimore. Kenny Pickett in Pittsburgh. And then, of course, Deshaun Watson in Cleveland. I mean, just the quarterbacks. You got to love them, okay? Pickett, he's the worst kid in this group. Um, But even though he's the worst, you know, quarterback in this group, it's because of the, you know, the youth, obviously, right? Only going into year two, but his rookie season, he helps Mike Tomlin keep the streak alive. Another year of Mike Tomlin finishing over 500. Okay, I think he's due for a year two leap. George Pickens is back for year two. He's going to be a really good wide receiver. His Pittsburgh team. I think the offense is going to be a lot better than what people think. Najee Harris, of course, the running back. Solid, solid back. Watson, when we look at Cleveland, wasn't great last year, but it had been like a whole year since he played in the NFL. Um, you know, I expect him to be much better this year. Okay, we know Kevin Stefanski is a good coach. They have the best running back in the league in Nick Chubb. Okay, and in a division where people are talking about Lamar Jackson and the Ravens, along with Joe Burrow and the Bengals, the Browns are flying under the radar. Okay, if Deshaun Watson is like 2020 Deshaun Watson, they could win this division. They are that talented. Okay, like this is an uber talented roster. Okay, and then in Baltimore, you know, obviously Lamar Jackson signs the big contract in the offseason. And he's expected to have a big year. He's a guy who's won an MVP with a lot less talent around him than what he has now. Okay, you know, they've got the two-headed monster in the backfield of obviously Lamar Jackson and J.K. Dobbins. he got Mark Andrews, who's still playing tight end. They sign Odell Beckham Jr., and they draft Zay Flowers in the first round. Okay, and then on the defensive side of the ball, they extended Roquan Smith to anchor the defense because what is a Baltimore Ravens team without a really good middle linebacker? You got John Harbaugh, who's the best coach nobody talks about in the NFL. But let's be honest, the best quarterback in this division is Joe Burrow. Okay, a quarterback who's been great despite the lackluster offensive line play. The Bengals make arguably the biggest move of the offseason, grabbing Orlando Brown Jr., who's going to play left tackle for him. Okay, he's going to greatly improve the protection around Burrow, which is the biggest thing, right? Like, he's been really good when he's been spending the entire games on his back, just imagine if he can stay upright. His Bengals team's going to be really, really good, but how does this division pan out? What can we expect to see from this division that is, as I said, loaded with talent? I think this is the toughest division to predict. People love the Bengals for a, for a lot of really good re- reasons. The Ravens obviously made some moves in the offseason. If Kenny Pickett has a year two leap, then all of a sudden the Steelers are pretty legit. And I've already mentioned how underrated this Browns roster is. But here's how I see it panning out. The Bengals are going to win the division. Because Lamar Jackson is going to miss two or three games due to some injuries. I think it's going to cost the Ravens the division. But when we watch both teams play the consensus opinion is going to be that the Ravens are the better football team. But because Lamar Jackson misses a few games due to injuries, 
that's going to open the door for the Bengals to win the division. After the Bengals and the Ravens, the Steelers are going to follow. Kenny Pickett looked good at the end of last year after he finally got some reps in the league, but that's not why I'm picking the Steelers to come in third and to finish over the Browns. Simply because they have Mike Tomlin. Mike Tomlin simply does not lose more than half of the games in a season. Okay, If there was any year where Mike Tomlin and the Pittsburgh Steelers were going to finish under 500, it would have been last year. Also, if you're new to the pod and you don't know what I'm referencing, Mike Tomlin has never finished with a losing record in his entire career as an NFL head coach. Hasn't happened. And if any year it was going to happen, it was going to be last year with Kenny Pickett, and it didn't happen. They finished at 9-8. and eight. On top of that, they have two of the best defensive players in the NFL. Minka Fitzpatrick, the best safety in the league. TJ Watt, one of the best edge rushers in the league. Okay, I am not under any circumstance betting against a Pittsburgh Steelers team that I know is going to be good on defense, that I know has playmakers on that side of the ball, and has Mike Tomlin, and has a quarterback who was good in his rookie year and is probably going to be better in year two. Not, I'm not picking against them. I'm not going to predict them to finish with a losing record because in the history of the NFL, there has never been a division where every team has finished with a winning record. Now, with 17 games, that could change. As I said, I really like this division. I'm about to get into the Browns here in a second. But, sorry, history matters. It's also part of why I have the Steelers over the Browns because the Browns are just losers. They are. That's who they are. That's who they've been for a really, really long time. They had the one year where they made the playoffs with Baker Mayfield. Outside of that, it's been pretty meh. It's been pretty meh. Okay, and I, I hate that I have the Browns finishing in last with a losing record because, as I said, this roster is loaded with talent. Miles Garrett, Deshaun Watson, Nick Chubb, Jarvis Landry. I mean, like they've got dudes all over the field. All over the field. And look, if I knew that Deshaun Watson was going to be 2020 Deshaun Watson, I can tell you right now, I would not be picking them to finish last in this division. But I don't know that. Okay, and we can sit here and we it's the, it's the time of the year where everybody gets on Twitter and overreacts to guys in just helmets with no pads on. Okay, so we can get on Twitter, we can overreact to all the different plays made by these various Browns players. But it, look, until we put the pads on and we actually see who can play, I'm not reacting to anything. This division's really good. I think the standings are going to look really similar to last year. I think the Bengals win the division at 12 and 5. The Ravens follow at 11 and 6. Steelers come in third at 9 and 8, and the Browns bring up the rear at 8 and 9. This division's really good and when 6 of your 17 games are against teams with good quarterbacks, competent or better defenses, and good head coaches, you're going to lose games. Like, when that is your division, you've got six games like that, you're going to lose some football games. Okay, these are four of the most talented teams in the NFL. Okay, and I cannot wait to see this absolutely loaded division go at it in the regular season. I think it's, it's going to be so entertaining. So entertaining. So, we're going to take, well, we're not going to take a break. That's it. We're going to wrap up, actually. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. Those are my predictions for the AFC North. Once again, Bengals, Ravens, Steelers, and in last place, the Cleveland Browns. Thank you so much for listening to the pod. Make sure you check out the other stuff here at Elevation 5280 Sports. A lot of good stuff on this podcast feed. Make sure you go over there. Make sure you check it out. Check out the website as well. we got blogs going up. Make sure you check it out. 
Thanks again for listening. This has been Jonathan Smith with Shooting the Schmidt, and I'll talk to y'all again on Thursday. Thursday.